Hello, I'm Max Malaben, the editor-in-chief of the MSU Reporter, and this is the MSU Reporter's podcast. This week, we're doing a deep dive with student government president Andrew Trenny to talk about all things student government, who they are, what they do, and what their priorities are for this next year. How you doing, Andrew? Good. How are you doing, Max? Doing well. Not too bad. Long time no see. Good to be back on campus. Yeah, you know, it's great looking, sunny day, and buildings are open, and students are walking around, so it's great. Exactly. Uh, welcome week was a, was a relative success. We're, we're getting think, people back in, freshmen are doing well on campus, and I mean... Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, you see, you know, a lot of groups meeting outside, which is great. Um, really like the events happening, you know, in the volleyball courts, and um, the RSO affair outside the CSU is just great. It just shows that our university can adapt... Um, to the challenges we face as, as a university. Absolutely. Well, first I wanted to start off by uh, kind of going into what is the student government? You're the president of the student government. You were elected last last uh, spring. Yep. Um, what does the student government do? What, how is it kind of structured? Uh, what's your guys' role on campus? Yeah, so student government is the official voice of the student body. So that's all 13,000, 14,000 students at this institution. Um, and we're really part of every decision the university makes, big and small. Um, we're really that voice to help ensure that students are um, thriving and succeeding and, you know, any issues they may have academically or socially, um, we help address those things and help advocate for them. Um, we have a 32-member Senate um, that meets weekly in Ostrander and on Zoom. Um, it's kind of like a hybrid approach this year um, that really, you know, they set the student fees. Um, they really go into policy of, of the university and help ensure that whatever this university does uh, always keeps in mind its biggest population which is students um, which is the big important thing because you know there's faculty there's staff there's administration there's outside factors but the biggest population that pay to be here are our student population so you know we need to make sure we're representing them and having issues they care about heard um, so that's kind of the mission and kind of how student government works and yeah cool. so so we have uh, uh in our student government correct me if i'm wrong there's different types of senators yeah uh, there's people to represent different uh, sections of the mm-hmm. university what what are what are some examples of those uh, uh um senators and and representatives that are the voice for different demographics on campus yeah we really um we're kind of the more um bigger student governments in the in the seven schools we have about 15 there's there's 30 senators but in 15 broken down into 15s so we have 15 senators that are um off campus or res life students so there's eight off campus that represent Um, Those online, those across the street of the university, um, basically anywhere besides campus is where they represent. And then we have five res life ones for each academic building um, that represent the people on on campus. Um, And then in turn, we have 15 academic senators or at-large senators. So those um, specifically represent those colleges. So, for example, we have two um, social behavioral sciences senators, um, CSET, Allied Health and Nursing, College of Ed. So they represent those constituents specifically and meet with the dean monthly um, and really work on those programs to make sure that students are thriving academically. Um, and then we have two at-larges, which represent everyone, um, and they can work on whatever, but ultimately everyone works and advocates for students to make sure that, again, as I mentioned, that we're thriving as students and um, tackling those small issues or even big issues as well. Now, what got you into student government? You were, you were vice president last year. Yep. What, what got you in before then? So I was, um, so I'm, this is my senior year, so my fourth technically year here. Um, I got involved in student government my freshman year. I was a residential life senator. 
Um, one thing that drew me to it is how impactful it is. Most people just, you know, they come from high school and think, oh, it's just student council or um, it's just a group that plans events. But we don't, we're not that RSO that plans events. We have an RSO for that. Um, we're ones that meet with administration. We're the ones that um, look at policy that are affecting students. And um, that really drew me to it. Um, I remember the student body president at that time. He was at the new student rally and he spoke and um, I whispered to my friend, I said, I want to be him because I think um, he really was well-spoken and he really, you know, had was passionate. And I, I said, that's me. Um, so then I got involved in student government and then um, now I'm here as president. So it's it's been a fun ride, I guess. Now your vice president is Arnavi Maltari. Yep. Uh, and then you're the speaker, Kara Sversal. Kara Okay, I didn't know how to pronounce that. Yeah, one, it's but... okay. It's a doozy. Right. <laughs> um, they. Uh, what are they in charge of? What 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 are the their roles as compared to yours? Yeah. So, um, so the vice president really helps me out. We have a, you know, it's surprising the amount of work we do, and the people really don't see that. Um, you know, over the summer we were really in in depth and involved in the discussions of the university. Um, and I don't have all the hours in the day to help be a part of those conversations, so she, the vice president helps me assist that as well. Um, and then the, our speaker, she runs Senate, so she runs the student Senate side of things, um, sets the agendas, um, you name it like that. Um, it's really a team effort, I would say, too, as well. Um, some people would always say, like, you know, you're not that busy, you're always in your office. Well, yes, now it's <laughs> Zoom meetings, but it's also responding to emails, and, um, you know, a lot of administrators want our opinion, and that's critical. Um, I always, my motto has been this year, um, wherever, whoever we're not talking to, we need to get there because no matter who they are, big or small, administratively, um, students need to be in there and having their voice heard. Right. Um, so that's anywhere from the president of the university to the person in the CSU that, you know, is a small administrator. We need to make sure we're representative everywhere. So, and that's a hard challenge. So. Right. Now, speaking of the president of the university, mm-hmm. uh, President Davenport is has announced that he is going to retire yeah. this year. Um, now, there is a... Uh, new committee search committee yep. search committee being mm-hmm. formed uh how many what kind of student representation is on there and uh how is that how, how are students best interests being uh, expressed on that committee yeah that's a good question so um so search committees whenever a position opens up um they do it with deans vice presidents presidents um and they really um kind of look at the job up they look at the job description determine what should be on the job description and then they ultimately um find candidates they try to recruit them nationwide and then kind of cut them down I per se to like two to three or four people um this search committee will have I think two to three students I think three um and it will be made up of all like representative of our student body because I think that's important um for example we want international students to be on it we want domestic students we want people of color because I think whoever our next president needs to is or going to be needs to make sure they know student issues and can advocate and work on the behalf of students because they're not just the university president they also make decisions daily on students um, and we want them to be you know we obviously want someone that's going to be uh, knowledgeable and um, knows the impact they can make and really can be the best for our students so I would say yeah again it's gonna be a mix of all demographics we want to make sure everyone's represented equally so cool. we have a pretty diverse student population here it's so. true a lot of international students um, as far as international students, we have some uh, some cool you have some cool news uh, as of this year. Some ink was ink was dried on uh, uh, international attorney or uh, uh, immigration attorney. Mm-hmm. That's the word. Yeah. Uh, what what does that mean for international students, and what does that mean for even domestic students, or what 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 benefits to come from that? 
Yeah, so for those listening, so Student Government offers a service. It's called the Student Attorney. Um, we uh, used to partner, or we still do, with a, a firm called Knudsen & Casey. They have always done the criminal proceedings or leases side of things. So if you ever have a question about a lease or, uh, you know, you're being charged with a crime, um, you go through them and you can kind of get their, their legal advice. Uh, this year, and it's been a project of student governments for years, has been how can we be more inclusive? Um, and we've been really trying to get out an immigration attorney to be able to contact and work with students. Um, surprisingly, it's hard because there's not a lot of immigration attorneys in Mankato. Um, but luckily, we did find one. It's Donnelly Law Firm. Um, so they'll be here and they can consult with students or you'll be able to consult with them about, you know, immigration law, DACA students will be able to go there. Um, even domestic students that are studying abroad can seek legal advice from them. Um, so I think it's a good opportunity. One thing we also wanted to make sure of is when we say inclusive, we wanted to make sure that whatever an international student or student general talks to them about wouldn't be reported back to the university because there is some concern of that. Uh, but they will not do that. It's pri private um, conversations you'll have. And the best thing is it's also free of charge. Um, so you just come to the CSU 280, um, that's the student government office, and you can get an appointment scheduled with us. Um, again, it's completely free. They will not represent you, though, sadly, um, but you can retain them um, on your own money. So it's a great opportunity. So now, now, correct me if I'm wrong, they're based out of Houston. Yes. Yeah, so they'll be up here. Uh, I believe so. Yes. Yeah, yeah they're, I, th I believe they're, uh, I was just told, uh, uh, John Bullcock told me yep. that they were going to be up uh, two times a year. Yep. And other than that, it's mostly virtual uh, yep. consultation, which honestly, it kind of it was supposed to be that anyway. And it yeah. lends itself to COVID nineteen easy regulations. Right? It was an easy <laughs> little transition over to that. Um, now, more broad, from a more broad sense, uh, this is a weird year, obviously with COVID nineteen, the pandemic, um, the election, Davenport leaving. <laughs> uh, what What are the broad plans that you guys plan to do in student government? What are your priorities that you want to uh, mm -hmm. attend or attack? Uh, in this next year? Yeah, that's a, again, a good question. Um, it obviously varied from the election. You know, we always, you know, we always run on certain ideas. Um, in COVID, you know, everyone joked last spring, like it's going to be over by August. <laughs> well, it's not. And uh, unfortunately it's probably going to be here the whole year. Um, knock on wood. I don't, well, right. I have yeah. wood, but um, <laughs> knock on table. Uh, so our priorities have kind of shifted in the sense, but ultimately our whole mission has not changed. Um, you know, with COVID, we've really focused on college affordability because that is something we can see us working on and accomplishing. Um, with that, that's like um, we got the over the summer, we got the online differential waived for courses um, online, but we're supposed to be in person. So that's your course fee that is applied to online courses. Um, we're the only institution that I believe has waived that. And so far, we'll probably only be the only one as well. Um, we also really got we got course fees waived through academic affairs. Um, we made it a point like, hey, you know, why are you charging an, uh, an art fee right now for mm -hmm. an online class? Uh, the university has said, whoops, and they, you know, agreed with us and waived it. Um, so we've had a lot of wins as, for students, and we're really excited for what we can keep doing in the academic year. Um, along with that, we've really been wanting to focus on student success in the terms of socially. So that's a food pantry, that's homelessness, that's food insecurity. Um, students are still going to struggle, and even if the campus closes, the university needs to be providing those resources. Um, you know, we've, we're working on right now getting a food pantry on campus. Um, there's, the university is actually finally considering, you seriously considering a food pantry. Um, so we're working on that. We're really trying to hammer out these things because ultimately COVID in general has only increased the, um, 
the problems that we've had for years and it's showing the, the cracks. Mm. Um, and so now, you know, we've always looked at it like, yes, we're in COVID. People always say, why do you want to be president during COVID? I said, well, this is the time where we can pave those cracks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something I've looked at every day when I wake up is like, what can I crack or what can I pave? What can I ruin? No, I'm just right? kidding. Totally yeah. um, what, uh, as far as going back to the online differentials, mm-hmm. uh, this is something you, I mean, this is a battle you've been, uh, yep. two years you, now, you've been battling for a long time. You were, you were originally trying to waive all online differentials, yep. correct? How, mm-hmm. how much are, is an online differential and what, what is an online differential again? So, so yep. So the online differential is basically uh, whenever you have a course that's online, um, it's an extra fee of charge to them because uh, to have an online course, supposedly, and I say that like that, um, it costs extra to do. That's technology. Um, that's uh, people training the faculty how to do an online course. That's course development. That's all that is in that fee. So it's a $33 and I think 25 cent fee, $36.25. I Yeah, it's one of those two. Um, and like I said, it pays for faculty development, course development. It pays for the technology as well. Um, cause a lot of people say, well, I already pay a tech fee. The tech fee doesn't pay for everything. Uh, tuition, and, um, tuition, state dollars and the online differential play a part in that as well. Um, but you know, we, yep, we, we, I've ran two years now on getting rid of the differential and that's still my goal. <laughs> um, we, I don't feel anything justified in those areas, um, such as faculty development to teach online courses is real. Um, they allocate money towards it, but do we see progress? I mm-hmm. don't think so. Um, and I've really made that case to the university that, you know, when you say you're charging this fee and this is the result you want to get, we haven't seen a change in that. Right. Um, so, and we're the only, and the fees do vary by campus. So Winona State, for example, has their online differentials $4.50. Um, that's just the basic cost to pay for D2L. Mm-hmm. Um, so $4.50, $4.50 out of our 33 go to D2L. Um, the rest of it goes to, like, paying faculty to develop courses, CEDL, the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning. Um, but like I said, I personally, and as president, I don't believe that's how the money's spent. Mm. I do believe that they have people doing that, but I just don't see how it's helping students to charge that. I think it's only hurting students. Because um, then we get into the whole other issue of access codes. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have a Cengage or MindTap code, but you're still paying the differential, why? Right. You're not even using D2L at that point sometimes. You know, Like I have three courses right now that use MindTap, but none of them sync to D2L. So it's like, why can't, why, um, can't we pay for only one instead of the other? Um, which is an argument I've, I've also made to the university is could we implement a system like that where you pay for the, if you have a access code, you pay for the access code only and not the differential. Um, haven't gotten anywhere. Obviously COVID has been really dominant, but I think we have a really good provost, um, really good academic affairs staff, um, and great deans as well. So I think we'll see progress this year, but hopefully. So in a perfect world, would we be if if it's an online class, would be we be all uh, on D two L, and if there is a a differential, or would we be a mix, or would you rather there there just be the access code fee for? Uh... Um, yeah, so actually, I've kind of changed my approach. I still think the fee is useless, but I think a good obviously they're not going to waive it. The only way that the university would waive or get rid of the fee is if in one year they could take tuition and increase it by 3 to 4%, mm. 3 to 5. Um, so actively com- campaigning to get rid of the differential will increase the cost for everybody. Okay. So the new approach I've kind of taken is can we have the either-or system? If we have a professor that uses MindTap or an access code, can we not pay the differential? Because an access code can depend on price. So it could be 
uh, $120 to over 200 for a code. Um, and some faculty that I've had and many others have had where they have all their classes on that MindTap access code. So again, what, what faculty course development are you going to have when you're using a code that you, the faculty doesn't even touch? None. So um, I think that that's a strong case and strong argument to um, have this option because the university kind of does agree. Access codes are cool. They're nice. You know, you don't have to 120, like, for example, three of my classes, I only pay 120 bucks for right. books. Mm -hmm. so it's great. My problem runs into is when faculty only rely on that to teach instead of doing lectures, office hours, um, stuff like that. So I think it's a different approach, but I think we're going to see progress potentially. So. Do you think that's a, a common thing with faculty is just using the, the online access fee or online online access like MindTap to just do their teaching for them? I wouldn't I wouldn't comment on that. I would say from in, in certain practices or minors or programs, yes. Mm -hmm. um, for the most part, faculty do use it as a supplemental re like package to mm -hmm. their course. Um, but I know right now my courses and I'm not going to name the program. <laughs> um, that's how the that's how the class is. It's basically just on the access code, um, stuff like that. So, yeah, very, I, I know I've had that before in in uh, some yeah. classes where it does feel like the teaching is done yep. via the access book that is that is, that they didn't yeah they didn't make. And that know. raises the whole question of you know why why not pay for the access code and just the, the access class? code exactly yeah. And and I could too also comment. Well, um, I would say our university, like I said, has been proactive about it. Um, we're the only ones that have waived that fee for the courses. Um, a lot of the other ones didn't, um, and they, you know, we're the cheap. We're one of the cheaper prices. Uh, I think St. Cloud's like sixty dollars or something like that, almost double ours. Um, so we we're proactive about it, and it did cost the university some money. But whatever student success focused, they should do. And I think you know, this is a great first step, but we need to keep going. So now, as far as enrollment this year, mm -hmm. um, it was. Have we been seeing, like, a dip in enrollment because of COVID, or uh, is nope. it... No. What's going on? Um, I don't have the exact numbers, but I do... I, I did hear, I think, earlier today, I think we're at about a 5% increase. Increase? Yeah, which really? is interesting, right? Um, do they have any ideas of why that, why that is? You know, we are the one of the cheaper schools in Minnesota State, mm -hmm. um, very much so. So I think that's part of it, but also... Um, I know a lot of people from the U that have transferred here at the University of Minnesota. Mm. Um, I think we might see some more, especially considering they're delaying their semester when making some more enrollment. I don't know. But um, obviously, well, that's a cool number that we're at 5% up. I don't know how much we're down, but down internationally. Um, uh, the, you know, the federal decisions on um, immigration and stuff have really affected our international enrollment. Um, and the one thing I liked about Mankato, and I still do, is our international community. Um, like, for example, I always say this story whenever someone asks. Is, um, when I came to college, I never knew anyone from India. And now my vice president of student government is from India. Mm -hmm. So I think, and I've learned a lot of things from her, and she's great. So I think um, that's something that, you know, is struggling right now and kind of annoying is that uh, this whole population is going down. And we want to, the university is trying everything they can to keep them. Um, it's just the government is just being very difficult about things, so. Because there was at one point uh, an announcement saying that uh, if it was all online, that yep. international students wouldn't, wouldn't be able to stay. Mm -hmm. Now, that was revoked Yep. Um, mm -hmm. after some outcry. Oh, yeah. Um, but I'm sure that that, that, the, that that sentiment is what is, is causing a lot of... Uh, yep. I would also say I do know some people um, who just couldn't afford 
mm-hmm. anymore over here. You know, food and housing insecurity is real. You know, a lot of us um, don't have to deal with that, but I know a lot of students who have either had to live out of their car or literally eat just peanut butter as a meal. Mm-hmm. So it's very heart- disheartening, um, very upsetting. I've always been very uh, big proponent of we need to do more as a university. Um, I know budgets are tight at the university, but whatever we can do to support, we need to do. Right. Um, so now, um, you, you bring up food insecurity. Um, mm-hmm. you guys, uh, last year there was a plan put forward, swipe out hunger. Swipe out hunger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, could you go into detail on what, well, how that works and what, what that kind of is? Yeah. So swipe out hunger is a national, and again, I'm not the expert on this. Our speaker is the one that actually put, did and ran and got this done. Um, but basically the whole short gist of it is, um, when you, and this gets really specific in depth and stay with me, but, um, when a student, so basically when you buy a meal plan, your money doesn't, it doesn't go to Sodexo right away. It basically, um, it stays with ResLife. And then as you use your meals, ResLife will give money to Sodexo to cover you having that meal. <clears throat> so it's like once a week they get like a bill from Sodexo. I believe that's how it works. That's how it's been explained to me. So, um, but at the end of the semester, you know, people that have the 160 um, or other meal plans or dining dollars, they're not all used. So now our question has always been, well, where do they go? You know, we pay this fee, you know, with the 160 for 160 meals, but what if you have left over? Mm. And essentially, they go away is what we've been always told. Well, why is that? Um, so we got this program. Our speaker got this. Karis Versal is her name. Um, I give her full credit. Um, I, you know, she did it. And she's still working on it, but... Um, basically at the end of the week or unused meals at the end of semester will go into a bank per se and students who are facing food insecurity can get meals um, on their MAV card to go eat at the dining center because the biggest thing is yes we can provide food for students and um, stuff like that but we want the um, we don't want them to be singled out per se so we don't want anyone um, not eating we don't want anyone eating by themselves we want them to be eating with everyone you know mm-hmm. the best way you can make a friend here as a freshman or as a first year transfer student is at the dining center um, so that was a good thing on, on her part is that we wanted them to eat at the dining center not alone or we didn't just want to give them food we wanted them to be able to eat like a normal person because they are they shouldn't be different so right um, and then that kind of goes in with uh, obviously there's campus cupboard mm-hmm. and that's uh, that's organized by the ceo correct ceo but it's mostly run it is but it's also run um campus cupboard and there's campus kitchen campus cupboard is the one run by the crossroads church okay um i don't know what the days they do but they do have like a little food pantry in there um and then campus camp campus kitchen is um through this community engagement office and student activities um the contact for that if anyone's interested on the podcast um karen anderson is the one that really runs that and she Basically, students will go make and make food, and then they'll put it out for students. So it's a great program. So awesome. So student government meets weekly. Uh, what are meetings looking like now with COVID? You said it's kind of a hybrid now. Uh, first, like walk me through what the what it looks like to be in that meeting, and and it, even if it's normal, just like what are you guys talking about? How does it run, and how does it run differently this year now that we have to be partially online? Uh, yeah, so Student Senate is um, the 32-member body that meets w- uh, weekly. And um, it used to meet in CSU 238, which is the Nickerson Room. And that this year only has a capacity of, I think, 30, 33. So it's not going to fit everyone we want to bring or have at the meeting. So this year we're moving to Ostrander Auditorium, um, which only, I guess, has a capacity of 66. But um, we want to make sure we have some in-person component and online. 
Um, so we'll be in Ostrander. Anyone listening, any student, any staff, any faculty can come as well. Um, we have, we'll have COVID precautions and stuff, of course. Um, and then the other way, if anyone wants to participate, can also be over Zoom. Um, so we'll have a Zoom meeting as well that will, it, it sounds weird, and the way I was explained, it seemed complicated, but it's really mm-hmm. not. Um, anyone will be able to address Senate like normally, so anyone that wants, has an issue affecting them, can come speak before Senate. Um, and they can do that through that Zoom option as well if they don't feel comfortable. Because I know one thing we had to know is we, you know, we do have senators that aren't even in the country anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's how can we accommodate and be inclusive to those not at Mankato. Um, and that's something I'm really proud of. I know it's very difficult to run and maintain, especially considering we're going to be in a big auditorium and then Zoom and yeah, right. we'll see how it goes. Right. Yeah. Cool. I would say, too, the one thing I've always, you know, my philosophy has been some people go, well, why are you going to be in person? Um, soon comes down to RSO, you know, we have a job. We have um, things to, that we need to be doing, even if we're online, even in the middle of COVID, because there's still students struggling academically and socially. So we need to be there to help address their concerns. So um, students can be, you know, successful. You know, that's what we're here for. The other thing, too, is, you know, we do this. We set the student activity fees. Um, <clears throat> that's the CSU fee, that's student activities, um, the dome, campus rec. So we need to maintain that professionalism as well and that legitimacy as well because, you know, we can talk as much as we want as student government, but are the administration going to take us seriously? Um, so I think that's the one thing we always need to keep, we keep in mind when we talk about this is we we have to, it's, it's hard because we have to maintain safety but juggle professionalism and operational integrity and stuff like that. So um, we we have a lot of big things coming up. I may may or not talk about some of them, but um, definitely in the spring, though, when we reset this or we set the student fees for the next year, um, that'll be a critical component that we need to make sure um, student government's up and running for. So now you meant you teased you you teased me. You got to tell me at least one of those things that you may or may not talk about. <laughs> Maybe a separate time, but I will say. Um, you know, from as student government as a president, one thing we're really looking at is reductions um, or like fees in general. Um, as I mentioned, you know, we really did about the online differential and the course fees. But, you know, what about the question students ask is what about athletics? It's not meeting. Um, what do we what does that look like? What are these fees that aren't going to operate? What are they looking like? Um, so, you know, I'm, we're taking a look at them. We're going to have some meetings coming up. But Ultimately, like I mentioned earlier, affordability is our big goal this year. You know, that's the biggest thing I can see as a president and someone that's been in this role for a couple of years, two years now. That's something that our voice is now empowered to do. Not necessarily, not saying that none of the other things are empowering, um, but I think a lot of people are looking at it and saying, do we charge the same amount for having a Zoom university, quote unquote? Mm-hmm. Um, and the answer is no. You know, there is areas where it needs to be reduced and. If students are overpaying, we're going to fight tooth and nail to get that money back. Even $10, is, which is the athletic fee. Mm-hmm. Um, to administration, it may seem small, but to a student who's struggling, it is a lot. So That's, that's dinner. Yeah. That's dinner. That's Chipotle. That's exactly. what I say. <laughs> right. Uh, um, you mentioned the dome. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's what's the status on the dome? We it, Wasn't it supposed to go down this yep. for the summer, and it just kind of stayed up? It stayed up. I don't know the specific reason, but I can speculate kind of. Um, I assume it's because they couldn't get the people in there to take it down because mm. of social distancing. It's a lot of people that put it up and take it down. Um, I, when I was in there, there's like things they have to take down. Uh, yeah, it's very complicated, but mm. I know that's probably the reason why. Um, 
You want to know my hypothesis? Yeah, what's, what is it? I think uh, they're leaving it up in case they get a huge influx of cases. Just put up a bunch of cots, send them in. A and bunch of cots. Give them, give them, a, give them uh, a two-week timer and let them out whenever they're done. I do know. I guess. I guess on that hypothesis or conspiracy, I don't think that's. I don't think that's accurate. I, um, so, for those that don't know too, and I, I assume this is public, but um, when COVID really hit, Julius Sears was looked at as a potential emergency facility per se mm. for sick, you know, people. I assume it's public, but um, no one was ever there, so I don't want to alarm anyone. No one right. ever moved in, obviously, but that was considered by MDH as a secondary source for students or community at least to be quarantined in there again disclaimer no right. one was no one it was empty all summer so right don't want to um, but i do know this weekend or i think this weekend this upcoming weekend um the city council asked the university to use myers field house for mm. two thousand people testing um and again i assume that's public yeah <laughs> assume that's public i'll let you know okay um but <laughs> Because, you know, I, the whole idea is we're not going to alarm the community. The university doesn't want to do that, but mm-hmm. they, you know, it's been a request, and I think it's been approved. But they're going to have signage. No one's going to be interacting with them. It's The facilities are going to be cleaned, and I wouldn't worry about it. Um, right. Precautions are in place, so. Now, um, on the, the, the topic of COVID-19, um, as far as school closure, how does the – what's the, like, plan? I know there's, there's uh, like, code ye- – we're in code yellow mm-hmm. right now as of – uh, <laughs> um, as of Tuesday the twenty fifth, uh, what what are the colors? What do they mean? What what happens when we get into the deeper colors? Yeah, so I believe it's what green, yellow, orange, red. I believe those are the levels, um, and you can find them on the university webpage under Return to Learn. I think it's linked somewhere, but basically green. And I don't have the specifics in front of me, but I can kind of briefly mention. Um, so basically, green is low transmission levels. Yellow is kind of medium picking up levels. And then as we get further, obviously that means there's a widespread outbreak on campus. Um, and in orange specifically, so the next level means canceling like extracurricular activities, so like student, student activities, students mm-hmm. event team. Um, red is a complete, like no one can shut down of all classes and stuff like that. Um, right now we are in yellow. Um, I wouldn't alarm people when, I, when we say that or when you see it. Um, it was just recommended today we were told that um, the Minnesota Department of Health, MDH, suggested and re- highly recommended that each university start at yellow instead of green. Mm. Um, so when you look at that chart on there on the website, um, none of those things are true at this moment, the data recording. Um, it's just a disclaimer. Um, but I, I would say, too, we all kind of need to do our part um, to ensure we are here. You know, we, you know, the president said it, the provost says it, but let's be that institution that can get to spring break or uh, Thanksgiving and still be on campus and gloat to everyone else, like saying, hey, we are student, the Maverick community is the best. <laughs> right. Um, in the event so. of a shutdown, like if we do have to shut down again, are we sending everybody home from the dorms? Is that what the plan is? Because my, my gut reaction mm-hmm. is that would be dangerous for the communities of the people at home. Yep. Um, especially since the dorm communities are predominantly uh, younger people that could mm-hmm. uh, that could potentially handle the, the virus better than the people that they'd, come into contact at home mom dad grandpa yeah so i i and again i don't know the 100 percent specifics because obviously so one thing about this is um the deciders are the president's cabinet so president downport and his team decide all that so i don't think they have anything in place per se i mean um but i do know one thing student government's advocating for and we're pushing is that even if we go to red they still need to provide those resources they should still have the campus 
if you want to go home, that's your choosing, but you shouldn't mm-hmm. force people out. Um, obviously, you know, if you're an on-campus student or a parent right now, you can easily get that refund if that does happen. Um, they have committed to that. So don't be alarmed that you're not going to get your money back. But if a student wishes to stay, I think, and I believe um, they will. Um, one other thing, you know, another issue we have is at the end of last spring, a lot of students who didn't have Internet or a laptop, how can they complete their online classes? Mm. Um, so we, you know, we're pushing right now to make sure that if that we do go to red, that the library is still open in some capacity. Um, and the CSU, so places with Internet or computers are still available because um, really when we close down and say no one can come here, that's cutting off access to the to people that are vulnerable and people that need that as a resource. Um, so that's something we're doing. But uh, specifically, I don't know. Right. So. Yeah. Um, on a lighter note, uh, freshmen this year, <laughs> they have a weird year to be freshmen. They had an even weirder year to be a high school senior. Uh, what what's their experience like this year? What what kind of what can they expect out of uh, being a freshman at MSU and and going through their classes? Um, I would say one thing. Well, yes, it may be different, and you may you know it, it doesn't. No one wants to be online. I'll say that. Um, you know, a lot of places around campus are you know looking at COVID as yes, it's a challenge, but we still want to provide for students. So. Um, you'll see a lot of events still happen, like outside movies are cool. I was never expecting that. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that was never a thing when we were, you know, freshmen mm-hmm. or even. Right. Um, so even that, but also, you know, our show fair is still happening. Our shows are still meeting. So I think there's ways to get involved that may not be in person. But I think every freshman should look at those opportunities and say, I can grow. Because ultimately, this COVID time is something good to put on a resume, whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. Because you know this this hopefully isn't a new norm but it shows that you can adapt and develop um you know as a student and as a person so i think there's still opportunity to get involved um and look forward to them i know the students event team still doing a carnival i believe but Mm. great ways and you know just got to look for those opportunities and stay safe and wear the masks and distance and wash your hands so right we don't want to go home no we do not we want to stay on campus we do it was very lonely here, right? Yeah, it was weird. We, we saw each other in the dark hallways yep. of the CSU every once yes, in a we while. Did. Well, Andrew, that's all I got for today. Thank you for coming in. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to say to the student population? Yeah, just uh, again, thank you, Max, for having me. But also, you know, thank you for thank you, students, for you know, um, coming to the school here and you know maintaining the safe practices, but also um, helping us do our job and help and helping us ensure that we are all. Um, being successful. I know they're going to be a rough year, um, but I think, you know, as a Maverick community, we'll take it really well um, and we'll really overcome this. And I asked everyone here listening to really, you know, stick with it. Um, Faculty are just as frustrated. Administration is probably even more than frustrated. (laughs) So I think just stick with it, go with the flow, work and study, and um, we'll have a successful year uh, however it ends. So. Yeah, you can't blame Davenport for wanting to retire yeah. after this year. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> we'll miss him, though. We'll miss him. Absolutely. So. Well, thanks again, Andrew. Uh, again, Once again, this is Max Mayleben, the editor-in-chief of The Reporter, signing off.